The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Today, we're continuing on with our sermon series where we are bringing a word of gospel to trauma. And so far in our first three sermons of this sermon series, we have come very gently, haven't we? We've come almost like a mother comes to her terrified child. But today we're going to turn a corner. We're literally going to turn a corner, and no longer are we going to come gently, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Because the Lord comes to a man named Job. And the Lord says to Job, who is yearning for justice, by the way, Man up. He says, brace yourself like a man. And then the Lord shows up, right? In a storm. Listen to Job chapter 41 as the Lord comes to Job in a storm. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? Or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? You can sense the sarcasm. Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing hooks? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together, each so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined together, fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of the dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron is it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. 
Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it, but a piece of straw, it laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. What would one think the deep had white hair? Nothing on earth is its equal. A creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. It's the word of the Lord. On a day like today, on Reformation Day, the day that we are celebrating that God gifted back to the church the gospel, we have to sing a mighty fortress, don't we? It is a must-sing. It is a Christian classic. It's, it's an anthem that has incredible depth, and therefore the church, it seems, never, never seems to tire of singing it. It has scriptural depth. Now, a lot of people know that A Mighty Fortress is based on Psalm 46, the, the psalm that we looked at just two weeks ago. But did you know this? That a mighty fortress is also based on Job 41. There's a little line at the, at the end of verse 1 of a mighty fortress that says this. On earth is not his equal. And right there, Luther plagiarizes Almost word for word, Job chapter 41, verse 33, which says this, nothing on earth is its equal. So I want to show you something then. Luther's old evil foe is what? Job's Leviathan. Now, that's a genius line for a couple of different reasons. One, because we have in the hymn, then, a hymn that speaks all about Leviathan. But not only that, with with a stroke of his pen, Luther really does away with all the zoology that we have in Job chapter 41. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Who or what is Leviathan? I, I get interested in this. I mean, the characteristics of this beast, this creature that we have in Job chapter 41, each one of them is incredible. And I'm not sure which, which one is more surprising, more awesome. Is it the fact that, that Leviathan, well, he's got body armor that the United States military has still not invented? His body armor... Job 41 says, is so good that not even air can pass between the links in it. That's incredible. Or, or 
Is this more surprising that that this beast, this Leviathan, has incredible breath? And, And I don't mean incredibly bad breath, although he probably had that too. His breath literally could could start charcoal on fire. He's a fire-breathing beast, Job chapter 41 says. Or is this more surprising that, that, that Leviathan, if you looked at him going through the ocean, because apparently he's, he's an ocean-dwelling kind of creature, that, that he sort of kind of like looks like Titanic. Because Leviathan has its own wake. That looks like white hair, the poetry says. I mean, if you look at all the details of this creature, we could, we could agree, couldn't we? That there is no one on earth like Leviathan. No greater power. No greater beast. And this is where people really go crazy. Like, if... If you looked on the internet, there would be like thousands of interpretations. Who is Leviathan? And so, so some, people, some people look at Job chapter 41 and they're like, this is sort of like Harry Potter and the magical creatures. Is that the name of it? And, and what we've got here is God, he's, he's moved into the mystical and the fantastical, the mythological world. This isn't a creature that actually existed, they say. This is, this is like the knights and and the wizards, and the witches, and the dragons, that kind of world, they'll say. And then there's other people, they'll look at this chapter and be like, no, this has got to be a real creature. And they'll say, we know what, we know what creature this is. It's a crocodile. Not an alligator, because alligators are actually kind of friendly. Did you know that? Like, they'll actually only attack if they're threatened. But crocodiles are violent. They're mean. And they will attack for any reason. Or no reason at all. So they say, this has got to be a crocodile. Other people, they'll read it and they'll start talking about dinosaurs. Seriously, they'll be like, well, when I read the Bible, we want to see dinosaurs. And so this must be like T-Rex's cousin or something like that but a fire-breathing version of T-Rex. I mean, people, people will just go crazy trying to identify this creature, and they really get no further than George Bernard Shaw. You know, he, he was, he wrote several uh, very famous plays and musical, and he, he actually was disappointed with Job chapter 41, and, and he came to this conclusion that Job wanted justice. Job wanted to know why. But all God wants to talk about are snowflakes and crocodiles. But Luther won't have it. He's not going to let us get lost in all of the zoology. He's a little bit like Moses that way. You know, Moses who wrote Genesis and the fall of creation. Moses doesn't get all interested in like what kind of snake it was. He, he's not like, is it a boa constrictor or a viper? No, he knows, right? Moses knew. Doesn't matter what kind of snake it was. What really matters is that it was Satan himself. He, he's a little bit like Isaiah that way. Isaiah, he helps us to identify who is Leviathan. He calls Leviathan a dragon and a serpent. 
And then he's a little bit, you could say Luther's a little bit like John. He follows John in his great revelation because in, in Revelations, John wrote this, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. For Luther, the identification was simple. The old evil foe, Job's Leviathan, is Satan. And we dare not miss the big point that Job's Leviathan is really, and I need you to get this, he's the Lord's Leviathan. Because there is only one, Job chapter 41 says, there is only one who can put a hook through his nose. There is only one that can tame this violent creature so well that it can play with little girls. There's only one that can take a harpoon and throw it into its side to kill it. And that's the Lord. The Lord is the Lord also of Leviathan. And that's the big point. This, this is the big culmination of the book of Job. The Lord is sovereign. He has under His control Every perpetrator, every violator, the old evil foe, the one who wants to do you the most harm, belongs to the Lord. And I think that survivors of trauma need to know that. In the depths of your heart, you need to know that the Lord is king, is sovereign, of your greatest enemy. A Czech philosopher wrote this. His name was Vytislav Gardowski. And he was later martyred for his Christian faith. And he's talking about the terrible threat to our lives. And he says it's not disaster. It's not trauma. It's not incredible loss. He says rather it's this. That we might die earlier than we really do die. Before death becomes a natural necessity. You see, what can happen after trauma is that you stop living. That you no longer live with purpose and joy. That even, even at, at, at special moments, your mind is somewhere else. And Satan knows this. He, in fact, he's got lots of tactics to keep us really in victimhood in, in our trauma. He wants to keep us right there. And you know what? One of the things that he wants to use against us is anger. The desire for vengeance and justice. And we'll lash out at the people closest to us, even though they had nothing to do with it. And we'll, we'll spend our entire lives trying to get back at that person, get justice. Maybe it's through the criminal justice system, or we'll look for compensation through a lawsuit, and we'll get stuck right there in trauma. And Satan knows this. This is one of his greatest tactics to keep us stuck, to keep us really dead and in the past. And he whispers into our ear this, to, 
to throw a log on the fire of my anger, he'll say, guess what? Jesus isn't going to make it right. He loves you. He'll cry for you. But he's not going to do anything to make it right. That big corporation, right? The big corporation who put profits ahead of your well-being and put you at risk of incredible harm. Your little lawsuit, it's not going to even make a dent in their bottom line, right? Anger is stoked. Or, or you suffer a sexual assault, and you know that if you come forward, it's going to be this he said, she said kind of thing. You say something, and you won't get justice. And the devil whispers into your heart, You have Jesus' tears, but there's nothing he can do about it. A pastor told me this story, that once he was trying to help a now-grown man who had been abused as a child. And he went into what was called Christian counseling to, to deal with this traumatic series of events in his life. And This Christian counselor told this young man, what you need to do is visualize and and imagine this abuse happening with Jesus crying in the corner. It's what they called Christian counseling. And the young man says to this pastor, it made it worse. Because sometimes we don't need Jesus' tears, right? Sometimes we need the Lord of Leviathan to show up. Sometimes we need the Lord of Leviathan to come and flex his right arm and put a hook through their nose. Sometimes we need the Lord of Leviathan to show up and put a shock collar around Leviathan's neck and tame it. For little girls. Sometimes we need the Lord of Leviathan to show up and just throw a harpoon into him to get the justice that we actually deeply desire and need. Sometimes we don't need Jesus' tears. We need his strength. We need him to fight for us And that's exactly what the gift of Job chapter 41 is. Do you get that? We don't have a God here that's crying for us or sympathizing for us. We have that too. Don't get me wrong. We have that too. But here, we have a God who shows up in a storm and He says, I've got Leviathan and one day I will crush his head. And we need that. I need to tell you something from the depths of my heart. I need to caution you that you should never, ever underestimate Jesus' power and his desire to get you justice. Don't ever underestimate it. Because that's what Satan did. You know, when Jesus came and and he became incarnate to come and rescue us from our sins, 
The devil thought, I know what I'll do. I'll tempt him in the desert. And we all know how that turned out. Satan running away with his tail tucked between his legs. And then Satan thought, I know what I'll do. I'll send wave of wave of demonic activity into the world. And you know what happened? Jesus said, be gone. And these demons, they, they, they scattered like fall leaves, right? And then the devil said, since that didn't work, I'll enter Judas's heart. And I'll try to kill the Son of God. Satan didn't know that he was playing right into Jesus' hands, right? To make the payment, the full payment for our sins. And I think that when Jesus died, Leviathan threw a party in hell. I really think he did. I I think he got like on the loudspeaker and he told all of his little demons, I did it! I killed the Son of God. All of this is mine. I told you so. He was weak for them. He loved them too much. And now he's dead. But then just three days later, he rose again. And now this is interesting. He didn't show up first to the women, did he? Or to the apostles. The first thing that he did when he rose from the dead is he went straight to hell. Did you know that? He descended to hell on Satan's own turf. He made this announcement. Satan, I won. No accusations can stick against my holy people. I made the payment. Satan, go to hell. We confess in the creed, he descended into hell. And I want you to get that so that you can know that Jesus crushed his head. Satan has no power here. Not in Jesus' name. And with that moment, He began to little by little by little make every wrong that was ever done against us and slowly to turn it upside down and to make it right. One more day awaits Satan. The great and final day when he will be judged and all the perpetrators and violators and the wicked with him. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And that's gospel too. Sometimes people like to study a mighty fortress. Sort of done that today a little bit, haven't we? Job chapter 41. Sometimes historians actually begin to to wonder about one phrase in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and it's this one, where Luther wrote, one little word can fell and he's talking about Leviathan. He says, one little word can fell. 
What's that little word? What's the one word that you can speak that makes Satan flee? Some people think the little word is liar. Satan, you lie. You're trying to tell me my God doesn't love me? He died for me. Satan, you're a liar. Satan, you're trying to tell me that God doesn't care what happened to me, that there's no justice for me? Satan, you lie. Some people think the word is liar. I'm not so sure that it is. I like a different word. One little word that makes wrong things right. That is the promise of justice for everything you've ever suffered. A word that when it is spoken that the hosts of hell tremble and Satan has to leave. I think you know what that one little word is. Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.